What's up, everybody? We are on episode eight with co-founder Evan Mendelson of Tipsy Elves. And as you can see, we are rocking the gear today. A lively mm-hmm. bunch. First and foremost, Evan, thank you for making the time and coming on today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Definitely. We are, we are excited to get into this brand, but we're excited to go back to uh, your days in the weeds, and I'm sure in the weeds still today. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I know you're a, it sounds like a California born and raised guy, um, a little bit further north of here. So I think going back to, to those days, because you, you have an eerily similar uh, background to some guys we've had on here with, with getting a law degree, with um, practicing law, um, even the MBA and jumping into entrepreneurism. So I'm really excited to hear the connecting of the dots to some other people we've talked to story. Um, but NorCal, that was your hometown, right? Yeah, from Reading originally, so born and raised. Okay. How many and, people know where that is? They, like, especially down here, I feel like people mix it up with Redlands a lot. Mm-hmm. So, I was nodding my head like I know I where Redlands is. I literally just did that right now. <laughs> I usually can tell because if they're like, oh, yeah, I've got a bunch of friends from there and they live in San Diego, I'm like, you're probably thinking of Redlands because there's like a handful of Reading people down here, but not a ton. So Reading is a small town or? It's like. 100,000 people, so it's okay. bigger, but it's uh, the biggest city nearby is Sacramento, and that's still two hours south of Redding. Oh, no shit. So it's not like, it's pretty isolated in Northern California once you're up there. Okay. Do you guys know what Redding was? Uh, yeah, I just now I Cal. Now I do. Now I do. Was it big family, small family? Mm, pretty small, just my parents and my brother and I. Um, not like a huge extended family, so it's mm. pretty pretty much just the four of us. Mm. Yeah. And did you come from a family of aspiring entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs? Or no, it was my family. A lot of they were pretty more of an academic route. Like my dad, uh, he's seventy three and still practice. He's a cardiologist up in Reading. Oh, wow. uh, my mom did nursing, and then my brother kind of followed in my dad's footsteps and did the the medical route. So he's a, he does orthopedic surgery in uh, Scottsdale right now. Oh, wow. So very yeah. professional, very... dialed in conservative jobs. Yeah, exactly. And is that what led you to originally um, kind of have uh, law or practicing law in the back of your mind? Yeah. I mean, I think I was pretty academic, I think, just by nature of the upbringing, you know, and my parents sort of always stressed grades and you know, importance of going to college and all that. So I think in the back of my head, I was always sort of thinking that I was going to go to some sort of grad school, whether it was medicine or law Mm -hmm. or get an MBA. Um, But I kind of had that planted in my head that, you know, grad school was sort of the the only way to kind of reach like, you know, the higher degree of of jobs out there. Uh, So that was sort of like definitely in my my DNA for Mm -hmm. throughout my upbringing. Sounds like it. And were you super academic, like straight A's through high school leading into going to college? Yeah, I was pretty, I think I, pretty sure I was valedictorian of my, my, <laughs> my high school. Can't so. remember? <laughs> Actually, like, for, I, no, I think I was, um, just so long ago now. Um, so yeah, it's definitely academic. And then I went to, you know, went to UCSD and continued to be pretty academic there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ended up going to grad school for law. So I kind of, I definitely sort of was on that track of, you know, caring a lot about grades and mm-hmm. being pretty studious throughout my, most of my life. Did you ever dabble? Cause we had Chase on here who has a, a very um, well-known brand, does a lot of e-commerce, sun, sunglass blenders. Uh, yeah. I were owner. Chase, yeah. Um, did you ever do when he was growing up, he, he was a surfer um, and 
he would resell like the stickers that he get from like promotions and and was like showing little signs that among other things of uh of like entrepreneurial in, in his DNA as well. Did you do anything anything like that? Were you like the kid with the Kool-Aid stand or lemonade stand or <laughs> anything like that? My parents, made, I don't even know if it's true. They said something about me like trying to like resell pencils or something in grade school. I don't remember. So yeah. they might have just like been making it up. But um, <laughs> I, I started in college, definitely taking an interest to marketing and some entrepreneurial stuff. Like uh, a friend and I launched a a book exchange company at UCSD and we called it campus books. Hmm. B O O K S was taken. So it was B O O X campusbooks.com. Oh, that's cool. Um, but it, it definitely gained traction. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, now that model, I think uh, like Chegg, there's some huge companies that are like massive doing it nationwide, but like reselling the books that you're, yeah, basically like a Craigslist for, you know, re, or it's like a, you know, a way to sell your used books, but it was very localized to the UCSD campus. And then I think we started adding a few campuses and it was kind of hard to monetize, but it was definitely like, you know, the first time kind of creating a service that was starting to get used by mm-hmm. people. Um, I'm trying to think if we did anything else. And that was sort of my first sort of entrepreneurial thing. Um, another one that I think got me really into internet marketing happened right after I graduated law school. I created a site called Dayfinder, which is a... Um, it's basically an SEO-driven site. So after you after you take the bar exam, everyone does what's called a bar trip. And I, I read a ton about SEO during because you're traveling. I was in China for mm-hmm. a long time. You're traveling, reading a bunch, of, and just had a lot of downtime. So I read a bunch of books on SEO, and I launched this site called Dayfinder, which was basically a way of looking up the upcoming dates of holidays. So mm-hmm. and like now, if you if you type daylight savings twenty. 19 or Mother's Day 2019, Google will populate that result at the very top. So you don't actually have to click on any sites now. But when I started that site 10 years ago, that wasn't happening. So you literally had to click on individual websites to find the dates of these upcoming holidays. And those terms got like massive search. Um, So I launched that site in 2000, right now like 2010, 2011, and that started doing really well. So I was starting to work as a lawyer and that site was like, there were certain days where I'd make, you know, like a thousand bucks a day. Like it, it did almost like 40 grand in the first year. So that right. was like, that was exciting for me. Cause that was like the first time I was actually like making money online and also feeling like maybe I actually know a thing or two about yeah, SEO yeah. or, you know, there's like, it was the, the first time something was actually like making me think, oh, I, you know, I maybe don't have to be a lawyer the rest of my life. Sure. So, yeah. yeah. So is a lot, is a lot of your, are you self-taught with a lot of the, um, online or, or I'm sure now you have everything mass produced out, but was that all self-taught and stuff that you learned yourself? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I don't think I really, yeah, I didn't really learn from anyone else. I think it was initially from books and then it was from trial and error and just kind of launching things myself and seeing if they worked or not. So. That's right. And you were doing that all while you were in law school. Yeah, that was like basically right after law school. Law school, I, I, so I went to USC and got, I did a JD MBA. So I was pretty consumed with like schoolwork. Totally, yeah. And then the bar exam came and that was mostly studying for the bar. But then I had finally had like a free month or two. So a lot of it came like right after that where I, I spent those couple months learning a bunch about SEO and internet marketing. And then it was sort of like during that downtime that I started creating more of these like day finder kinds of, of mm. sites. So that's really cool. And you, what originally brought you here first, what, or to San Diego was UCSD. UCSD. You got your yeah. undergrad there. Yeah. And then you went to <clears throat> USC for MBA and JD. Yeah. Initially got in for my, the law program. And then after my first year, I applied to the MBA. Um, you can do, 
normally MBA is two years and law is three. You can do them in four, basically by having like the credits. Some of your law credits count towards your MBA. Some of your MBA count towards mm. law. So once I started my law there, I applied to the MBA and then did those. It was like a four-year program essentially so damn that's what that's what uh dan did too mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah we had uh, a dan on here who, who now has a uh pi firm or he's still practicing law but got jd and mba at the same time oh cool how insane were those years it was fine i mean i never thought school was that some people hate school like for me all my friends at that point were like a lot of them were working full-time jobs and like mm-hmm. i never felt like grad school was equated or surpassed the hours that you'd spend at a full-time job you mm-hmm. know it's not, it's not going to be more than 40 hours a week. You're in school for maybe three hours a day of class and then, you know, read or study a couple hours. Like, I still felt like I had more free time sure, yeah. then than I did when I was working as a lawyer or, you know, any other full-time job that someone would have. So. Damn. And then you, you got your first law job down here after mm-hmm. graduating from USC. Yeah, I got it at a firm called Shepard Mullen. Or sorry, yeah, after USC, yeah, um, took the bar and then started working at the firm. This firm, they're in, they're a national firm, but I worked out of their Del Mar office, uh, and the firm's called Shepard Mullen. So. Were you there for a while? Uh, I was there for like a year and a half, and then I basically quit to focus full time on Tipsy Elves. Yeah, so I kind of started Tipsy Elves like in my, you know, I'd have my full law job, which was pretty demanding, and then I would work on Tipsy Elves at night when I came home, and you know talk to suppliers on Slack, mm-hmm. on uh, Skype. And so I kind of had like my day job. And then I, because it was such a consuming job, I had to do a lot of my tipsy elves work um, at night when I'd get home. Mm-hmm. So. so where did, because that, it's such a creative brand and I know it's got loyal followers. We call super fans in here. Where did the, just the first thought or idea come from? Cause I know it was, uh, it was originally uh, ugly Christmas sweaters, right? Yeah. Was it a void that you saw, like, because people are obsessed with ugly Christmas sweaters, yeah. obviously. And I know it's probably a trend that you helped definitely catapult. But where did that pop in your head? That, like, dude, there's an opportunity here. Yeah, I mean, I think it all originally started in college because I was in a fraternity. And I mean, even fraternity parties and, and other parties, you know, there's like theme Themes. parties are, have been a thing for forever. And uh, and I I was particularly like super into dressing up for theme and going all out for theme parties. And I had like a couple (laughs) friends who were also like all about it. And it's like, I feel like the fraternity was like divided. You'd have like the guys who would like kind of be uncomfortable wearing, you know, dressing up and almost wanted like, I'd say like felt like wanted to be like a little cooler. Like we're, we're worried that they look too cool to dress up, you know? And then there was like, me and a couple of my buddies uh and we would just like go all out for every exchange and like that was like one of the highlights to us was like dressing up if it was like an 80s themed party or a costume you know totally, yeah so we would like always go all out and um and i felt like that was sort of when i first kind of just saw the need because it really wasn't a place to buy like the stuff we'd want to wear you know you'd go to like like if you went to party city or spencer's you'd you'd see like kind of generic yeah, yeah crap that's in a bag like, we ended up piecing it together a lot of times from, like, thrift stores, or I'd buy, like, stuff on eBay. Mm-hmm. So I was doing, like, throughout college and grad school, we were, like, always dressing up for stuff for no reason. Like, and it was kind of, it kind of, like, started in... Because it's Wednesday. Yeah, it kind of started in um, in college, but, like, you know, even if we did, like, I remember doing a ski trip, and we all, we all got, uh, you know, 80s onesies, um, yeah. and we, like, it was, like, 
Valentine's weekend and it was me and a bunch of single buddies and we all wore like 80s ski suits, you know, on the mountain and just like. You just like I just saw him at Caboo a couple weeks ago, and there your whole group was dressed up in uh, onesies, weren't you guys? Yeah, we're actually it was like a matching Hawaiian shirt with with swim trunks. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, Matt like uh, Matt was there, yeah. And, yeah. So I think like just always loving to dress up, and and that kind of planted the seed. And and now the things that we sell, like we sell all the things that I used to like have sh- struggle to find online. Totally, you know, yeah. like, we have we have our own line of ski suits. We do Christmas sweaters. We do Hawaiian shirts and swim trunks and Halloween costumes. It's like all the stuff that I would always want to wear growing up and and still want to wear, but couldn't really find an option online. Yeah, yeah. So that's true though, because I feel like back in the day, we've we've done that where you stop in the the thrift store and you go store mm-hmm. to store because there isn't really a place that you know go to. You get lucky. You get lucky mm-hmm. and you walk out and you have a a, a rad a good Christmas <clears throat> sweater. But that's rad. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I'm just surprised he actually found the time to, you know, be a part of all these uh, events and go party, you know, doing your, your uh, whole law degree and everything at the same time. I mean, yeah. yeah. What, what was people's reaction at first when you said, because usually when you have the idea first, um, you start sharing it with people when it's just an idea. Yeah. Were people like, dude, Evan, you're fucking crazy? Or were they like, no, man, I think that, that they're, they're, you're onto something. Yeah, I'd say like most were like didn't fully get it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what helped is there was like an, so I had the idea and then there was like an SEO basis, like uh internet, there was a basis for why it would be successful, which was like, if you take ugly Christmas sweaters in particular, like you could actually, there's tools online. You can see how much stuff gets searched. And like, oh, yeah, I yeah. could see that that term or those terms, ugly Christmas sweater, ugly Christmas sweaters, you know, tacky Christmas sweater, all that stuff. You could just see those terms had massive search and there really was like no one selling them online at the time. So like, I think that kind of helped, if I if I really cared to get into the details with a friend of like, hey, this is what I'm doing, and actually gave them the basis yeah. for it, then I think it made a little more sense. But I think if you just look at it from a very you know superficial level, it's like, oh, Evan got all these like like education degrees, and now he's like starting like a party clothes company. You know? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I think like I think that that definitely was like you know I got some of that feedback from people, and even when I was trying to figure out. Like if I, cause I wanted, I definitely wanted to do it with someone else, especially cause I had a full-time job mm-hmm. and like, I felt like I needed the support of, of an additional person. And like, I had sort of floated the idea by a couple people and just the reactions I got from them weren't really the, it was like, I wanted someone who got it right away and Equally was kind of all, yeah. all in, not someone that was like right away kind of casting doubt or mm-hmm. had sort of suspicions about whether it would work out. And so I kind of went through that experience of, realizing not everyone was going to be, you know, as excited about it as I was. Um, so then you finally landed on someone who was that as, as excited. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, <laughs> uh, so Nick's the other co-founder, Nick Morton. Mm-hmm. Um, he, we went to, we overlapped at UCSD. We lived together for a while. Uh, he kind of had a similar background except more on the dental track. So he went to UCSD, then UOP for dental school. And then he got his, um, he got his endodontic degree, which is like, mm-hmm to be a root canal specialist. Mm. Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty like specialized. It's almost like being a doctor at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think essentially they, they are considered that. Um, but he, he has like a similar appetite, I think for risk. And he understood the, the, the reason why, like the say he had, he was like, like me in college, he liked to dress up too. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of like got it when I sort of told him about the idea. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a good, 
really good working relationship and he's one of my best friends too you know so it's been like totally a cool yeah and well de- i definitely want to dig years with him <laughs> dig into that too because it's more like a marriage after 10 years i'm yeah, sure yeah um, it is. <laughs> so were you when you were at the at the law firm was it just like from day one that you you said to yourself i this isn't i can't do this for a career or for a lifetime yeah it just it was weird it was like you make really good money so that right away that was cool because you're young, you know, mm-hmm. I was 25 at the time and you're making like really good salary. Um, and that, so that aspect felt cool because yeah. like the first time I'd had any like meaningful pay, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I felt like that aspect, at least for me, kind of went away. Like in a couple months, you know, you get used to, okay, I can, if I want to go out to a nice dinner, I can. Or sure, if I want to yeah. like go out and grab drinks, I don't have to like overthink, you know, the mm-hmm. tab. But after you kind of get used to the, that. And then I, and then it's sort of like right away, I kind of had this deep feeling of just, it just didn't like feel right. You know, mm-hmm. it was almost like a, your, my gut was telling me that it just was not a good career for me. It just, mm-hmm. it was like the nature of the work that it's, I was doing corporate law and it's, it's just, it, I, I understand. I mean, even more now than when I was working, I feel like I understand the importance of it because these agreements do end up sure. mattering for yeah. a lot. And you do have to take the time to really like ne- negotiate provisions, but it's just at the end of the day, you're spending a lot of time talking about the words of a sentence that are part of a paragraph mm-hmm. that are part of a contract that probably will just be buried away in a drawer unless like, or filed on Dropbox somewhere, unless there's an issue. And then people will start digging into the words of that contract. Mm-hmm. And like, we've had disputes um, over the last 10 years. And like those words have turned out to really matter. So I I get it, but it's when you're the one drafting it, it's just hard to like, feel like it's that meaningful to me. Yeah, You're like the difference between best efforts and reasonable efforts. That's like, that's like a real thing. And you might have like a, (laughs) you might have like a 30 minute uh, conversation with the partner that manages you about why that that matters. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, I just couldn't wrap my, my like, you know, my heart around it. And no, totally. So it was like, I'd say right when I started or pretty early on, it was, it was kind of this like sinking feeling of like, if I don't do something to get out of this, I'm, I could see how I could be <laughs> stuck there and not leave, you know, mm-hmm. especially cause my whole, like a lot of my network, a lot of my connections were all like legal. So it wasn't like I had, I have a lot more of like a entrepreneurial network now, but I didn't even really know like what else existed yeah. outside of that, that job. So I, I could, really easily see myself being stuck there and, and just like I could see how I could be a lifer without even really wanting to be totally. You know? It's like being stuck in a bad relationship or something. It's just very similar. hard to get out, but easy to stay in for a long time. So did you ever have flashes of that when you were in law school? Not really, because I, th- that's what's tricky about law school. I think in a lot of academic routes is you don't really, they don't really tell you what it's going to be like to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. It's so different. I mean, you're studying like the bar exam. You have to study every, every single subject of law, like all the main True. ones. And you only end up pra- picking one to practice in. Mm-hmm. And even then you don't really understand what it's like to practice in that area until you start working. So I feel like when, when I was in law school, I was just thinking of it like school still. Like I was, I was used to the, the, you know, studying for exams and doing pretty well. And then like that was, so I just kind of viewed it almost like a game of, how to yeah. do well on tests. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I started working that I was really like, wait, this is like, this is my career now. Like I either, I'm either going to be here forever or I'm going to have to figure out something else to do. 
mm-hmm. if I don't like it. So. Was corporate law um, what you originally had chosen? Yeah, I was, uh, I think for me, I just, because of the two big, like, you either do litigation or you do corporate. Those are mm-hmm. sort of like the 50, and then within litigation, you've got like employment and all these like subdivisions. Right. And within corporate, you've got a bunch. Um, so I always sort of figured out oh, corporate's a little more business minded. So I thought that that would be, as like, at least I'm being, I'm in, I'm involved on the legal side of businesses, sure. you know? So that kind of made me want to do corporate more. Uh, like that was why I sort of went that direction. Yeah. Hmm. So what was the, how, how far off the ground was Tipsy Elves when you finally exited out of law? Was it, were you like up and running or was it not launched yet? Yeah, we were up and running. Um, we had, it had been going for about a year. Hmm. So I think we filed like our, you know, business organizational documents. I think it was June of 2011. And I think my last days at Shepherd were roughly around, you know, May, June, that kind of oh, wow, time yeah. frame the following year. Huh. Um, was it one of the situations for that year? You obviously said you got home and you had to do all the work at night. Were you also shipping pack, like doing all that as well? Just you? Uh, we had a full, we had to have a fulfillment company just because Nick had a full-time job. I had one. So we kind of had to set it up to at least have some of the, the roles be mm-hmm. automated. Um, or out of our like immediate control. So, but Nick would do customer service. Um, mm. I, you know, outside of actually having the orders picked and packed, we pretty much had to do everything else. Mm. Um, so how hard is it finding? Cause I know getting a reliable supplier or like the, the very initial foundations really hard. Was that time consuming for you? And you said that's yeah, what you were, you we were doing. We had some, like we had some of these, I feel you know, like now we, uh, you you have like, you build vendor relations. So now we have like hundreds of like service providers that we lean on. But I feel like at the time, you know, maybe we needed, we needed 10 to get up and running. Like we needed a warehouse a developer, a good supplier that could make sweaters. And I feel like some of them we got lucky with and some like, you know, mm-hmm. we didn't. And supplier was one of them. We found, uh, we got some really good suppliers out the gate. Uh, but like our initial fulfillment company was like, crap you know and they were it was like just super disheveled and i mean we got through the first year but um you know so you just kind of you've sort of we had some that are like we're long are long gone now you know and then we have some of those first initial contacts that we still we still use to some some capacity yeah did you did you have a first skew like a first product that you still that was like the flagship or the, hey, we're off the ground that you still keep around? Yeah, we have. It's funny because I'm not, I've always been sort of like, I'm more of the creative side of Tipsy Elves and Nick is on more of the operational side. So I've always been kind of like artsy and mm-hmm. I even had like a little sketch pad when I was little and stuff like, not like a great artist, but I've always been more creative thinking. And so I like, I designed our very first 10 sweaters and they look like our aesthetic is like, so different now because we have like, you know, we have a real design team yeah, that's yeah. trained and actually knows what they're doing. And, um, the, like the ones I did were super rudimentary. Uh, but some of them, like we have one is like a yellow snow sweater and it's Santa, like peeing Merry Christmas in the snow and is like his back's <laughs> turn. And it looks like, I think cause they're, they're so crude. They almost look a little bit more like the eighties sweaters. The ones that I did initially, they're like, just so like, yeah. Two dimensional, like just, just like when you said rough. you were designing, how were you, how were you actually designing? 
I would like pull random element. Like I'd maybe take like a tree from an old eighties sweater and then sort of like, you know, change the shape of the tree. And then I would maybe pull like a Santa image from another. And then Mm. I would like, Take then I would literally like in Photoshop, you know, like write Merry Christmas in cursive with like <laughs> yellow, a yellow marker on Photoshop. So I kind of would like, I mean, it's we're lucky we found a supplier that could like work with my drawings because like <laughs> yeah. now it's like there was like there's a whole process to it. I had no, you know, you're supposed to do like a tech pack and you know, to all these like you're supposed to give them an illustrator file and like I literally just gave them like jpeg mocks <laughs> from photoshop and like they somehow figured it out so it's pretty like it was very rudimentary process and then as we added designers it got a little more refined but that, that's your language you know you know this stuff he Design. said jpeg and i'd cringe right now <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh man yeah. <laughs> i would have sent you a lot of hate emails yeah. <laughs> so what was going from because i know like everybody knows the stereotypical when you start off a business you're you're not making money or you have to sacrifice for the first X amount of time. How was it going from making killer money? And you were young still too, making killer money and having that consistent check at the law firm to not anymore. Yeah, it was, it was scary, but like, I was also so excited. So we, like we did, I think we did about, we did about half a million in sales our first year. So that was like, so that was when I was still working both jobs. And we did, it was just shy of like, I think it was like 450 or something like mm. that. Um, we basically ordered 5,000 sweaters and we like, we sold out by like early December. So it was oh, like, wow. we could have sold probably 10,000. It was just like, it just took off. So that was like, in the back of my mind, I was like, damn, this is like working. Yeah. You know, pretty exciting first year. Um, but all that money or most of it basically was just all getting back, like reinvested back into the business. Mm-hmm. So I told myself like I was willing to take, I was willing to make a third of what I was making at Shepard. Yeah, about a third. If I could like, if within three years I could like make the same. Yeah. That was kind of my, like the sacrifice I was willing to make. Cause I was mm-hmm. just like, to me, I was so excited by the potential of the business and I was pretty disgruntled with law. And I just was like, you know what? I, I could live off a third. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, I'd maybe have to be kind of frugal. So that was sort of the, that's sort of the, like the decision I had made that I was comfortable with. Hmm. And, and you both didn't jump in. You, it was first you jumped in, right? Yeah, it was first me. And then I think maybe it took about three years for Nick to go full time too. Oh, wow. And I just kind of the way, you know, ownership and it was sort of like he, he kind of had to make a similar decision for him mm-hmm. that made sense for me given you know, the stakes that we both have in the business and that sort of thing. That That's really tough because it's what we haven't had on here. And I haven't talked to a lot of people who they've dove into entrepreneurism or into starting a business, but um, they weren't leaving behind like your partner is a dentist and, and very well established and you at a law firm. That's a major, major sacrifice. Like yeah. that's, that's not an overnight decision. I'm sure it was something that you... I talked to like family, friends and all that. And there's probably the, the response was like, like this yeah. and all over the place to make that, that full leap. Because yeah, like, like you said, you could still be sitting here, um, 10 years later and being an established lawyer and continue to climb the ladder that that's a real fucking plunge. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Was, was there, was there a day or was there like a memory that you, that you pull that you're like, this is it. Like this is it. Or was it a little bit more strategic, strategic, like, Hey, 
I'm three months out and then I'm going to go? Or is there a certain day and thought that you're like, that's it? Yeah, it was, uh, I didn't have a date in mind. I sort of, so I went and we had the, we had the good first year, you know, and then it kind of dies down and then you're January of the following year. And then I kind of knew like, I don't know, it's like a matter of time. Mm-hmm. But then I was, but then we were like, you know, at that point we were only selling Christmas products. Mm-hmm. We did it, just the two of us for year one. You kind of think, well, the two of us could do it year two also. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how much work really does it require between now and the following December? So there was kind of this like natural desire to want to just continue to hold on and just, you know, keep focus on law during the day and my sure. job there and maybe just keep, tipsy elves is sort of this hobby. So I sort of like, and then, you know, obviously you're making good, good pay with the law job. So it's sort of like, okay, say I quit tomorrow. What does my life look like all of a sudden? I've got, I mean, I've got no day job. Yeah. I've got a business that isn't going to pay me for, you know, nine months or whatever, you know, it's mm-hmm. like till the end of the year, like maybe I should just stick it out and do both. And, and, but I, I just kind of reached a point where I feel like I was thinking like that for like several months. And then, I just remember one night I was chatting with Nick on Google chat, you know, like the Gmail chat thing. And Mm -hmm. we just had this long and I just was like, like, I just, I don't know. I just kind of, we just like started talking about it more realistically. And I was like starting to feel myself get kind of like excited and like shaky almost. I was like, and I'm like, dude, maybe I'll just quit tonight. Like I was just kind (laughs) of like, we just started, we was like, honestly, I think, you know, we were running through the numbers and I was like, if I quit, uh, you know, like I've got this much in the bank. I'm sure we'll at least do the same amount in sales last this year as we did last mm-hmm. year. I could totally live on this amount. And like, maybe I should just like pull the plug, you know, like, fuck mm-hmm. it. I was like starting and then my parents were out of town. So it's kind of perfect. Cause I didn't feel like I even had to like check with them. So it was like, <laughs> this was all like, it all started like around 6 PM, you know, and everyone's starting to like clear out of work. And I was starting to like, kind of like have wrapped up my lodge at my lot work for the day and I was in him and I were just chatting. And then all of a sudden I was just like, like, fuck it. And I, I wrote, I didn't want to like, there was, I wanted, so I wrote an email to the, like my managing partner and explained, sure, yeah. you know, that I was ready. To and they knew you were already, you were, you had this side business. No, a couple people did, but like, I think it was so out of left field. I didn't, you know, mm. I just kind of like, and I wasn't even sure how it was going to do. So I just kind of like treated it like a little hobby. So I didn't really, I didn't mm-hmm. have, not a lot of people at, at, at the firm had, were aware that I was doing it, you know? Hmm. Um, so it like, luckily like everyone was, it was really well received and they were like super gracious about it. And I think they understood that how passionate I was about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it kind of just, it was sort of like a boiling pot of water. And then I just finally was like, you know, like, I'm just going to do it. You know, yeah, yeah. I think it's those decisions. You never, there's like those really big decisions. You don't really it's hard to just set a time to do it. You just kind of reach a point where you just, it just kind of totally just do it, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I want to know how that like first day was, but I feel like backtracking, um, I feel like there's a lot to be said about, cause you compared it to, you know, you could have rode this career out the same way you could ride a relationship out. That's bad. I don't feel like anybody who are like, they like the thought of starting a business or getting out of this relationship, but they don't sit down and think like, well, what's tomorrow like? You know, yeah. like for you, what's tomorrow? Like, well, I'm not going to put on a suit and go to the office and get a check, but what's it going to be like? And they don't walk through that. Like, even if it's just walking through your head, you're like, okay, well, I'll get up and I'll work on my business all day. Yeah. That's a, that's a win already. So I'll spend more time there. You know, I might not get the guaranteed pay or whatever, but you, you started thinking about your finances, what you need to live and all that. And it made it seem a little bit more like realistic and probably less scary. Yeah. 
but I don't know how first day was like that yeah. first day, not putting on your suit, not going to the law firm. How was, how was that in comparison to what you like had envisioned? Yeah, it was, I mean, I think it was exciting cause it was just like, all right, like I'm completely on my own now, you know, it's like, I don't have anything to fall back on. Um, in reality, you know, I, I always knew if I have to go get another, I don't know if I wasn't sure like would, would Shepard take me back, but like mm-hmm. I could get another law job. So I kind of knew, okay, like, not going to be like, I'm not going to be like homeless or something, you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've always have like, there's always some ripcord, you know, I could pull <laughs> if I had to, but it was just really exciting to like know that I was fully on my own focusing on tipsy elves, which is something like I was super passionate about, really enjoyed doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was pretty exciting. I actually think I, I'm pretty sure I, I remember I got out of bed and like literally like kissed the floor. The first, I was just like, this is such <laughs> like, I kind of get like, I don't know. I get like, for monumental things like that, I like to pause and you know, I literally remember just being like, kiss the like, dude, just, yeah, this is yeah. like, be great. This is such like, this is like your dream, you know, yeah. like you're doing your, your dream is to like be self-employed. You know, you don't answer to anyone and you're working on a business you're excited about and like you get to see the full upside of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, do you still do that? Kiss the floor. No, <laughs> I think I just did it that once, but I still am always grateful. I mean, it's, it's like. You know, it's such a different, I, I feel like it just changes like who you are as a person when you make decisions like that. And you like, you just get so much for me, it's like such a source of pride. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm so like passionate about the business and you end up like, I think it changed. Like, I just think I was probably going to, you know, if I was still working in law, I'd just, just have a totally different course in life. Your, totally. your job is you derive, you can derive so much satisfaction from a job you're passionate about that if you you know if you've experienced that and then you've experienced not you kind of can see the way it can totally shape your life totally i think a lot of people don't experience it and they just mm-hmm. always view a job as a job but it's like it's kind of sad because i think it's the same people that are stuck in bad relationships it's mm-hmm. like it's you like kind of just assume that's how life is supposed to be mm-hmm. and you never really get to see what it's like to to experience that and yeah, I, f- I feel like it gives it, it gives uh, like your accountability goes up so much because you don't have and it, it definitely rolls over into personal life too because when you st- when you're running a business, there's nobody else you can blame. Yeah, you mm-hmm. can't blame anybody else. So you get out of the habit of like when you're when you're in a job, especially a job that you don't like, your go to is like, well, I, I blame my coworker, I blame my boss, I blame the employee who works for me, all that. And you, that definitely rolls over into your personal life yeah. where you're like. You're to blame. You're to blame. You're to blame. When you get into this seat, you're just like, "Fuck! I can blame them." Yeah. End of the day, what is that going to do for yeah. me? So, and and then in your personal life, you carry that around, and you become more and more and more accountable to every decision. Yeah, and your decision making definitely goes up. Yeah, so, absolutely. And with, then I think when it goes well, it, then it also becomes this like really cool source of proud pride. You know, mm-hmm. like you have to like you have to bear the like you have to take the. Uh, if things don't go well, you have to sort of be the one to like take the brunt of it and you can't point to anyone. And then when they go well, you can own the success of it and be really totally. like, it's a big source of like happiness and, and you know, yeah. And, and it does and, go well. And I feel like it takes a while too, where you actually, what, even when you fail or it does go bad that you get reach a point too, where you're like, instead of like, Hey, I'm going to throw the pity party and complain and point fingers and all that. Like, no, let's get to the root of why, why this happened. Yeah. You know? So there's more of those success stories than the failures but that takes like 
it's easier said than done. Yeah. It takes a while to get to that point. Yeah. Um, I don't think a lot of people uh, realize the amount of dedication and discipline it takes to be successfully self-employed. Mm-hmm. Everybody sees the cool the cool points about it, you know, make your own schedule, you can work when you want to, but it's it's scary when you stop and think about you you have to create your own income on a monthly basis and it's never going to be the same. Mm-hmm. So you're the like you said, your sole reason with it, well, and you know, it's your fault if you make it or not. I mean, you have nobody else to blame. Mm-hmm. So people don't realize that. They just see, you know, oh, you can, you have all the, you work for yourself. You don't have a boss. You can take time off. Yeah, yeah, yeah I could take all the time off I want, but it's not going to benefit I me in any way. Yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. not yeah. going to eat next and month. And I feel like that only, because one of the biggest things I wanted to, to, to hear from you and talk, because you've scaled unbelievably, is I feel like an outsider's point of view is once you scale and get to the level where you're going or where you're continuing to going, is just that, like you can kind of take your hands off the wheel a little bit more. But it's, there's almost the same amount of nerves because there's now just as you have more people who are relying on you. Yeah. More people mm-hmm. in all, in all areas, like not just your business partner, whereas before it was like you, you two, now you have people with families and yeah. incomes and expectations and career, career paths and wants and needs that it gets nerve wracking that you almost have to like, you have to every day as, as it grows and it's opposite of people think you have to become better and better and more disciplined and more disciplined. Yeah. If you, if you, if your goal is to continue the, yeah. the growth scale, if, if you're fine, like, Hey, we're, I'm cool right here. Yeah. Then it's a different story, but you had like, it's, it's a weird level of nerves um, that I definitely wanted to hear, like how that, how that wave has ridden for you as you grow to the level you have. Yeah. I mean, you're, you definitely, your responsibilities change, you know, cause mm-hmm. it's sort of like a, kind of like a selfish mentality when not selfish, but it's, you know, you like, to your point, you only are, you, you eat what you kill and it's like, mm-hmm. you're the sole breadwinner and you're the sole one that faces that suffers if things don't go well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the first phase is like, you start bringing on employees and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you have, you know, a team where you, well, like what you were saying, you know, you're there, they've got families, they're making, they're buying homes, they're like making decisions based on the income that they derive from work, mm-hmm. or it's just a job they really like. And you're like, you know, they have a, there, there's a situation at work that's tough for them. And, you know, you're also become part of their like general happiness, you know, yeah, not yeah. just, not just their financial, um, not just the, like their paycheck, but it's like, you have to troubleshoot things for them, you know, and help them work through issues. So it's, I think it definitely changes the role, and I think I'm still adjusting to it. I mean, we've we don't have a huge team. We're like about 25. We get bigger during the holiday season because mm-hmm. we end up bringing in some more temp people. Um, so I'm still adjusting because I think you know I'm through the early days of the business, you just get used to just kind of like not having to think so much about people and, yeah, yeah. and the people aspect of the business, and more just focus on problem solving and marketing and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But you, you kind of like. You just, I think it's a, a mental switch where you literally just have to tell yourself, this is, this is part of, this is an important thing for me mm-hmm. to focus on. Like we need our, we need our team. We need our team to be happy. Like you, you just have to make it part of your focus throughout the day. Definitely. Cause if you're just focused on the stuff that you used to be focused on before you had employees, you're not, they're not It's not going to be like a happy team. Definitely. So. I ask this question a lot for like um, guests that we've had on, on the show. As you've grown, obviously you you hire people and you have to put your trust in people to get the job done the way that you want it done. How have you dealt with the transition of you know being so hands on on the actual product itself and the way it's 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 developed to now you have to deal with other responsibilities, bigger responsibilities. How, how do you do that? 
Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. I probably, I'm sure people on my team probably still think I'm like a micromanager. (laughs) I like, I mean, I just try to train people well. Mm -hmm. And then once I feel like they're trained, I like to give them the opportunity to run with something. Mm -hmm. And then if I feel like it's, there needs to be some corrections and I'll check back in, you know, or if Mm -hmm. it's not done the way that I would like. But I think I, I think I do try to be pretty, I, maybe it's my law background, but I feel like the attention to detail really matters, you know, and just like, it's the little things that can make a big approach, like a big difference in, in, um, (laughs) the outcome. So, so I probably like care more about details than a lot of people, um, which I think requires, makes me feel the need to be a little more hands-on, but at the same time, you do have to just like sort of sit back and be like, we've got a really capable team, you know, they're like, they've got it covered and, and we've got like, we have such a, great team that's super you know resourceful and um we couldn't there's just no way we could do what we do now if if we couldn't just like be comfortable letting big chunks of responsibility off to other people you ever have times where you just really have to hold back and not get in and not you know go micromanage i try yeah (laughs) i mean sometimes i'll just or i'll work i work late hours so sometimes Mm -hmm. i'll see an email (laughs) <laughs> and my tendency is to want to just like, I, I can answer this, you know, but I'll have to just be like, well, no, they, nope. you know, that's, that's their role. Like yeah. I'll, they'll respond tomorrow. So I think sometimes it's easy to want to jump in or manage a really be on a, on a conference call where we've got like me and one of our managers on the call. And it's like really, in, you know, it's something I'm involved in, but it's really like their department. And I, you know, just tendency to like, you know, just need to kind of step back and let them do it. Right. So. How, how soon after you, when you left the law firm and went full time, was it pretty quick that you started noticing the move and the needle on like your sales and the traction with the business? Did it take, or did it take a while? I think it took time just because we were so seasonal. So it was like yeah. hard to get any instant. I mean, even, even today we we're, we're much more year round, but it's like, we still do, you know, majority of our revenue, October, November, mm-hmm. December, Halloween, Christmas. So we like, um, so even now it's tough. Sometimes you'll work on something in March or, you know, and then, but you won't really see it fully, you know, if maybe a big marketing or a big service plugin that we add to the website or, mm-hmm. you know, some we'll overhaul our emails and then you won't really see a lot of the results sometimes till later in the year. Definitely. Uh, so it's sort of like that. I think I didn't see an immediate, uh, immediate feedback, but I definitely felt like an immediate shift in the focus and my ability to really, mm-hmm. The, the amount of things we were getting done were, were, was just like definitely changed when I was able to do it every day. Totally. Um, did, did you have that when, if you could go back in those times, did you have days or weeks or was it a struggle making that shift or like going? Cause, cause your partner didn't. So it was really you now pounding the board, um, left your job behind. Was it, was it really difficult? It was like, I'm, I'm pretty good. Like in isolation, like I don't, I don't mind kind of, being by myself like I remember I had this mentality back then like because I didn't know any other entrepreneurs so I was just sort of I almost felt like well no like like I, I just didn't even know there was a, a world of entrepreneurship sure, in yeah. San Diego which I think actually th- there was even less back then you know than there is now so it was like 10 years ago um so I kind of had this mentality of just like you know you're just gonna like get up and you like you gotta like make it happen for yourself and mm-hmm. I'm pretty good like in that being by myself and kind of keeping that mentality of like just push yourself. It's going to, it's going to work out. But I I think I definitely got like lonely at times too, because other than Nick who, you know, was still working 
a full-time job and him and I would chat on, you know, G chat or text a little bit throughout the day. Like I literally had no one else that was yeah. doing anything remotely similar to what I was doing. Yeah. Um, where, where I feel like that, that'd be difficult because we're in, we're heavy in the marketing space and we do marketing for a lot of our, our clients and marketing translates in, in a lot of ways to creativity and constantly pushing the creativity ball. Um, and for us, it really helps having like a group, a group environment. Yeah. And you're, a, you're an extreme example of creativity um, and like being surrounded by those creative minds. So you can like a bounce, bounce it off them and be like, Hey, bounce some yeah. off of me. Cause we, we legit will schedule meetings where it's like, Hey, it's, this is just our creative content meeting. Um, and we have like the trust tree where like, no one's going to get upset, like throw anything out there. Yeah. And a lot of times we'll get out of the office. We'll go somewhere fucking goofy. Once a quarter we do a retreat and like, so we'll be, we'll be out of San Diego and we try to get really creative, but it's, it's around like seven, eight, nine, ten people. So you, you're kind of throwing those ideas that had to have been tough because you, you were pushing the creative boundaries with every yeah. skew or line to be doing it solo. Yeah. You don't have anyone to bounce it off of. Yeah. I mean, I think I kind of had to be like the sole creative probably for the first like four years. Now it's really nice because we have people that are like way better copywriters than mm-hmm. I am, way better designers. I mean, I'm not even a designer, so it's not, <laughs> it's not even a comparison. Um, but like, so now there's a lot of, you know, but then we, we do those same kinds of meetings where it's like we'll kick off the design process for a collection and it's literally like, everyone feel comfortable throwing out the weirdest crap and like we're not, you know, it's like a no, no judgment zone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that. I mean, I still think there was like, it was more like loneliness in the, like not knowing other people that were doing anything entrepreneurial, kind of just feeling like, oh, I'm, I'm like the one of the only guys in San Diego doing this stuff. And mm-hmm. it, it just took time for me to like start making those connections. And mm-hmm. one of the biggest ones that changed things pretty early on for me was I, there's these brothers in San Diego, Avi and David Tall, they own a company called Agentology, which is like a, it's a big, uh, it's like, um, concierge service for agents but they they were doing like seo stuff they're basically the same kinds of stuff i was doing just more in the real estate Mm. business and i would go to the u club every day and that was kind of like part of my routine and then i would i would work i would like overuse these little private conference rooms because i had nowhere to work you know Mm -hmm. and then they'd like eventually be like okay well there's a two-hour limit and so i'd like I was just kind of always on my own and I ended up meeting one of their employees at the U club. And he's like, I heard you talking about SEO. Like you got to meet my, my bosses. They like do the same stuff as you. And, um, I went up and met them and they're like the nicest, like most gracious guys. And they were like, dude, if you want to come work out of our office, like we've got an extra desk, you know, no way. And they just let me like work out of there for free. And we ended up doing some, like kind of some side projects, like, you know, some SEO based stuff together. Um, and that was a big change because all of a sudden I felt like, oh, I've got these other sharp guys who are doing the same stuff as me. It's going really well for them. They had like, you know, five or six employees at the time. And I had like an office I could work out of of people doing similar stuff. Yeah, um, I think it's way easier to find that kind of stuff now with like the all the co-working spaces. And but I back then it really was like there wasn't like core groups coming together for this kind of stuff, you know. <clears throat> yeah. And it wasn't as uh, as popular to to branch off and be an entrepreneur yeah. than either too so it was yeah. a kind of a lonely space yeah and it was almost like the uh where it's popular now is almost back then like the first thing people thought was oh so you're unemployed is that what you is that what you, is that what you really <laughs> mean yeah. Yeah. you know and that that, that yeah. was the reality and now it's almost like a glorified oh you're, you're an entrepreneur but I, I feel like the vetting system now is different too because there's such masses of people who are who are claiming the title but that back then it was yeah it was a lonely space to be in yeah 
Um, going off of that uh, and going back a little bit, what was uh, what was your parents' reaction when you told them that you weren't going to do the law <laughs> thing anymore and you're going to go full time? When, yeah. when, yeah. when they came oh, back to town. When they came back to town, yeah. I emailed them. And, yeah, they were pretty. Uh, you emailed were, them? Yeah, because they were like they were like on some like riverboat cruise in South America or something like Don't that. Don't call my work anymore. Don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they were pretty like surprised. I mean, they kind of knew it was coming, and I had shared with them like I just not that like happy doing this, and like I can't see myself you know doing law forever, and like so they kind of knew. So I think they were a little torn, which I feel like you want your kids to be happy, but then they're also like they can't. They're my, you know they're more risk adverse, you know, yeah, yeah. naturally, and so they're like you know, a little more fear of like, what's, what, what do you, yeah, like what happens if it doesn't work, you know? Yeah. And, um, so, but I, I've always been pretty like strong willed and independent. So I also think they kind of knew, like my mind was made up. The best thing they can do is just like, like, and I think they kind of just believe that like he'll figure it out, you mm-hmm. know? Whereas I think my, my brother's a little more passive and open to like, I could see them being maybe more worried about him if he were to quit his, job as a doctor sure, you know, yeah. i think for me i've always been a little more like make my mind a little more decisive mm-hmm. um so they i think they just kind of like supported it but you did, know, did you see that that their uh mentality towards it like after you told them the first year numbers that you guys made did you see them like oh okay all right maybe this is kind of a thing yeah it definitely helps you know because <laughs> it's like it's a helpful uh like piece of information you know because <laughs> yeah. it does make it a little more like okay there's He's making money. But I still think, though, like, yeah. my parents, it's, they're so embedded in, like, the professional kind mm-hmm. of philosophy of things that even that, I think, still, like, it's, like, it's all, it's not just about what you've made in the past. It's, like, job security and mm-hmm. all the things that they could worry about in the future. You know? I'm just envisioning him with his, you know, sitting down with his parents holding up a yellow, yellow snow sweater. Yeah. <laughs> this is the future, yeah, guys. Yeah. This is the future, guys. <laughs> well, I, feel, yeah. I feel like that, gener- like, our parents' generation, too, they think more about the your retirement years than your like now years, yeah. which is still important to think about. And, mm-hmm. and like the entrepreneur like title or, or business ownership, their generation was even, even more obsolete than yeah. when, when you got into it. But it's interesting. And I don't know if you had this happen too with your parents. Cause I had the same thing. My mom was, uh, she just retired and she was a court reporter. So worked for the federal court in her yeah. entire career. So always had a paycheck stable is was supportive, same type of feedback, but eventually then when you get now, cause we're almost 10 years in as well, they start learning stuff from you. Yeah. And you kind of see them, whereas like, I would be curious to see how our relationship would have been or where she would have been if, if I just stayed in in that job. I don't think there would have been as much learning, you know, on her side yeah. and her openness to things now. Because now when I when I throw her an idea like, hey, mom, because we've started a couple other companies since we've started. Now it's almost like it just brushes right off her. She's like, oh, that's cool. That sounds exciting. Whereas before she's like, what the fuck? What? Yeah, yeah. You're going to do what? So now she's just like, like basically wait for the updates. Like we have a new yeah. project we're working on right now and, and that's coming up in December. She's like, let me know when because I'm going to come out there. There's a, to- a different level of eagerness. But at the beginning, it was like the concern and worry. It didn't help me because you, you now you're like, oh, fuck, mom's worried. Yeah. Now I'm worried. But they yeah. end up learning. They end up learning from you, yeah. which, is, which is good because your parents both too, they're in like a, a lifetime career of you know a, a very stable and, and it's nothing to discredit, a great job yeah. that to see – their own son that's got to be really fucking cool yeah you know and makes yeah they learn that there's other paths too than than what they maybe thought were the only paths to take previously so, yeah totally yeah that's rad so i mean one of the biggest things i wanted to know about was your experience because i know this was a catapult point was uh on shark tank mm-hmm. so how did that how did that come about or where did where did that were you guys because i know it's it's not easy getting on there 
I know it's not any easier now and the show is just growing and it's, in, and it's insane as far as like TV shows in general because I feel like their shelf life's gone way past most yeah. TV shows. So how did that kind of come into your, your world or come about? Yeah, we so we were, it was 2013. So we had like, uh, so we had, had two years of sales. Um, so we had like, I think second year was like, kind of doubled the first years in sales. So we were around like a million. And then one of the producers reached out because she saw one of our sweaters at a party. It was pretty <laughs> lucky because I mean, that no way. Didn't, we didn't have a lot of sales back then. So it's sort of like, we were still like, you know, we were at the point where I'd maybe see like, if I went to an ugly Christmas sweater party or three parties, maybe I'd see one of our sweater. You know, it was yeah, like, yeah. we weren't that out there yet. Um, but somehow she kind of saw one of them and had a conversation with the person and they were like, oh, it's the Tipsy Elves and did some, she did some of her research and then they were specifically trying to put together a, a holiday episode. Like usually every, every oh, year yeah. in November, December, there's one that's like a very seasonal Mm-hmm. very focused on like Christmas and Hanukkah or whatever. And so she was like, we're trying to kind of slot, put together an episode around the holidays. Like, have you guys ever thought about being on the show? And we had actually kind of like recently chatted about it. So it was mm-hmm. kind of perfect timing because Nick and I were like, we w- both watched the show. And mm-hmm. at that time they were on their fifth season. I think they're, yeah, now they're, they're, and they're going into their 11th. Um, and so we were like, and then the best thing is they had just they had a rule before in season four you had to give like two or three percent of your company to ABC just for being on the show. No way. What? And they had gotten rid of that. They had gotten rid of that rule, which I I think prevented a lot of like better companies to for me sure. wanting to be on. Um, so it's yeah, it's pretty perfect. We so she. We still had to go through the application process and do like a you know a, a pitch video, mm-hmm. and she couldn't like like just scratch the process, but she basically was able to take our application and sort of like run it through the process and kind of expedite the approval. Um, So it worked out really favorably for us. And and there was a quick turnaround, I think from the time she reached out and then we found out we were going to like, we had an official film date and that was, we had like basically a month to prepare at that point. It was like very quick. I think normally they, you know, six months in advance, they start selecting companies but we kind of got in late, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, went up to Century City. You know, it's very like a lot of non-disclosure. You can't, you're not allowed. You're not supposed to talk to anyone at this. You know, they all put you up at the same hotel, and you you kind of get the sense like I feel like I feel like they're also going to be on the show, but no one's talking to each oh, other. Really? It's very like secretive. <laughs> and then in the morning, you get on a on a shuttle bus at like seven a.m. They take you to I think it's the Sony lot in Century City. Um, I had never been on like a film lot like that yeah. or anything. And then, and then you're, you, you do like a dry run with the producers and the next day you're, you're filming. Um, so it's pretty, it was a crazy experience. I mean, we hadn't, we had not, never done anything remotely like that in our lives before. No. So first question, if, if they would have still had the two to 3% rule, would you have done it or no? I don't know. Maybe because back then we were so like we would be so much more guarded about two or three percent now. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're smaller, you're more willing to like part with your business and in order to like expedite the growth of it. Mm -hmm. I think I don't know. It would have been I think we would have been it would have definitely made the decision a lot harder. Mm -hmm. And you said you had about a it's a month that you have to prep. Yeah. How are you? Because I can only imagine and there's few there's few rooms now that really get like 
my nerves going. Yeah. How was it going into that? Because I, I feel like take the cameras away, just pitching in front of them. Yeah. Be like, oh, fuck. Because you, <laughs> if you trip up on anything, it's like magnified. Yeah. Versus if you just trip up in a normal room. Now you have the cameras, them. How did you like get your yourself prepared and you get a dry run too? Like was, was a lot of it, you know, memorized, rehearsed, like down or was it more like, I mean, you know, your company inside it out. Yeah. Um, how, how did you, how did you get physically, mentally prepared going into it? Yeah. I mean, I think like we, we watched a ton of shark tank. So we like, we watched every question. Like we basically made a list of every question we'd see them ask and we're like, let's make sure we could answer that ourselves. Yeah. Cause I was like, I think our number one fear was, okay, we're selling like humping reindeer, sweater, yellow, <laughs> so, like, and we're going to go on national TV. And like the number one fear was getting like almost just laughed out of there. Sure. You know, like, even though we knew we had good numbers, we're like, we're pretty, we're still, what we're doing is very like niche and seasonal and it may, they might just like not get it and just yeah. like be like, you guys call yourselves a company, you know? So that was like our fear. Um, so we wanted to add it to at a minimum, just come off sharp and like we knew our stuff because <laughs> mm-hmm. I think had we not that combined with the business might have been enough to make them just be like these guys totally you know this this is like a weird I don't get it you know mm-hmm. um so we tried to prepare a ton and just know our numbers and then but yeah I mean the actual day of we were it was you know super nerve-wracking yeah <laughs> I think we were both like we golfed we had like because we were in Central City like, for a couple of days so we like we, at one point we were just like, dude, let's just go out and like play around a golf. Like we had to like get out of the hotel. Yeah, yeah. We were just like sitting there making ourselves nervous. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's, it is weird. Like it's kind of this like really almost like out of body. Cause you're, you're walking down the hallway and they've got like a guy walking backwards with the camera and then the door is open. And then you see these like five people that you've like, that are, you know, Mark Cuban, like people either you knew about before the show that are just these like mm-hmm. billionaire baller mm-hmm. entrepreneurs or guys that you've seen on the show for, you know, you've watched them for hours and they're a super familiar face, but they don't know anything about you, but you know all a bunch about them. So it's just like totally, a weird, yeah. it's weird to see a door open and just see like five very familiar faces who like, and then anytime like my vision would good turn to the left or right, you'd see these like massive, you know, uh, four foot cameras like with the lens this big they're like just like pointed right and you're yeah. like oh my like like well, stay present stay present you know don't think about it so um it was the pitch was very rehearsed and that was like the most nerve-wracking part because that's like that's like two minutes where you just it's just memorized yeah and i felt like i wasn't even really thinking about what i was saying i was just so like oh my god Robotic. and then once once they started asking questions and they got more conversational it you know, I, I relaxed more. Do they have like predetermined, I guess, guidelines on uh, the the amount of uh, of the investment that you can ask for? Yeah, they. Well, you can't. I forget. Yeah, you you they they help guide you a little bit because mm-hmm. the producers they they break into teams of like two producers and they basically help prepare you for the right. show. Like they want you to be successful. Yeah, so yeah, if you come cool. on. And you tell like you you'll tell your producers before you air you, before you film what you're thinking, valuing yourselves at. And if they like if they think it's like out of left field, they'll probably tell you like, you know, if you're like we're gonna value ourselves at ten million dollars, they're gonna they'll probably be like, uh, you might get like they might bash you for that. You know? Well, see, the reason I ask is because I have seen a few episodes where 
the companies that come on, they completely validate themselves out of the yeah. ballpark. So I'm like, how did the, how did that slip through the cracks? Yeah, like, I mean, my guess if something like that, because I see the same, I they just, I think they're just probably stubborn people who are like, right. well, I'm gonna like stick to my gun, like you know. See, well, have, I, see I, how I've it also, plays out. I've also seen one of the the I forget which one. I think this has happened on one or two shows I've seen where they have a t- I think they call them gold diggers. The people that do that, that they're just coming on to get the rating, like yeah. the, the ABC spike. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to say that's what they call them, which I, I look I'm like, yeah, they don't really need the investment money. They're doing fucking great. But like I've, I've had another, another buddy who's gone on the show too. And he taught, he talks about, you know, the surge you get when it airs. And he's like, yeah, yeah dude, what's even better is like when it re air, when there's a rerun, he's like, it's like it happened all over again. Yeah. And now he's been, he's had, I don't know. I don't know if it was as far back as you, but he's been on, now for a couple or a few years and he says we always gear up for that the rerun time yeah. because we get that same boost yeah so yeah yeah i think that's what they call them yeah i think so too was there was there something now when everything's said and done i mean obviously you walked away with a great investor great deal and i want to talk about that was there something that you would have done differently you or your partner they're like fuck we should anything i mean you had that you you got what you yeah. essentially wanted but was there anything in preparing preparing that you're like why the fuck did we even do that or not really. I'm trying to think. I'm sure there was like some wasteful stuff, but I think because we got the outcome we were kind of hoping for it all, it was like mostly positive. You know, I can't really think of anything. And the whole thing is pretty, it's, it's pretty long, isn't it? Yeah. While you're, while you're filming for like maybe, I mean, the whole interview process with them is probably like, it can be anywhere from like 45 minutes on the short end to maybe an hour and a half. Okay. I think we were like an hour, or 10 minutes or something like that. And then they edited it down to, a more cohesive story. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and some of it's like, for us, I think some of it's just about being ABC friendly. You know, (laughs) we have a, we have a black, we had a black Santa sweater and there was like (laughs) a bunch, like Damon John was joking around and we had this whole, like, you know, it was like, we were just deviating talking about this for a while. And I think, you know, I think, uh, I I guess ABC is probably, I don't know. You know, they just have to be careful with, or they wouldn't show, you know, we gave the sharks like a lookbook that shows all of our designs, mm. but like there's only a few, you know, half of them probably couldn't have been discussed. Yeah. You know, they're not going to talk about peeing Santa or so ABC yeah, tries yeah. to play it pretty safe. So there is like they try to sort of tighten up the story and then they, they cut it down to I think it's like 10 minutes or something that's actually like airs, you know. Mm. So what's the you walk out of there? What's that like? that first right after moment that you had with your partner and then what was like next day moving forward? How did, how did that change just the overall? Yeah. I mean, just right after we were just like, it's just like a high, you know, it's like mm-hmm. kind of like, what do we just do? Kind of like, that was like insane. Did you, you guys know? go party? Uh, we were in LA. So we like, <laughs> yes. no, we, yeah, we, I think we all went out. It was kind of cool. Cause ours, we had, we do like a model show, you know, and we had like guys and girls, friends of ours that, like modeled our stuff. That yeah. So that's pretty fun for us because we had like six of our best friends that were like out on the stage or, you know, on the, oh, yeah. on the set with us being filmed. So it was like pretty cool. Cause then we're like afterwards, there's like eight of us all together celebrating in the totally. back. And then I think we all grabbed lunch right after. And then I think that night we probably went out in LA or something like that. But, uh, and then I think right after then, you know, then it doesn't really change right away. It's, we spent a lot more time thinking about like, once we got our air date, you know, there's a lot yeah. more that went into like the hosting preparation of our site because like the traffic surge is like crazy. Um, and then, you know, you once you get the deal closed and Robert's onboarded, you know, then you start having more correspondence with him. But I think 
for us. I mean, he did get like a smaller piece of the business. So it wasn't like, I think sometimes if the shark gets, you know, majority ownership, mm-hmm. that might like, you know, they might start hiring employees for you or, you know, yeah. for us it was, he sort of assumed like an advisor kind of role. So it didn't, wasn't like the, the day to day of our business was changed overnight. It was more like we had this really sharp guy that we could reach out to if we had any questions or we needed guidance mm-hmm. and he was always available to help. So that was sort of like, it just gave us like a really nice resource. Totally. Yeah. Like mentor to, to lean on when we needed it. Did he make any like critical, like did he advise on anything critical or changes that now looking back, you're like, fuck, that was a great decision. Yeah. I think at one point and we've had a tendency to do this over the course of the business is like, we would, I think we'd try to spread ourselves to like, try to, try to like hit every market all at once rather than be focused on like a core of what we're doing and, mm-hmm. and just letting the core grow. Mm-hmm. And so I, I mean, at one point we launched a website in Canada, launched one in the UK, we had warehouses and, and it was like, we still have a small Canada operation, but like, that's an example of us. I just think like, let's be the ugly Christmas sweater company or the novelty company that's in all these markets when yeah. it's like the U S market could build billion dollar business like why go there Mm -hmm. and i think at one point with robert we were trying to do like a lower uh private label line we called it knit neck and it was going to be cheaper sweaters that were thinner Mm. weren't as high quality and we were going to try to like target a a a more price conscious customer with that line and like Mm. both lines were going to be available on the tipsyelves.com website so you could kind of like click on a side tab that would be knit knack. And it was like almost this like subline. And yeah, I mean, looking back, I, I feel like it's a pretty stupid <laughs> decision, <laughs> but Robert was pretty quick to be like, you like, don't you either like, you either be like a premium brand or you're like the low end brand. Don't, if you try to do it all, you're, you're just going to dilute mm-hmm. your market. And it makes a lot of sense. And, but I think having it come from him with so much like decisiveness <clears> was helpful to like, so we ended up killing that idea pretty, pretty soon after that combo. Oh, wow. What was the time period between, uh, you know, filming the, the, the show and when he finally came on board officially? What was it? What was that time gap? It was long. It took a little bit because it's which I think was like unexpected. But I think it's just how it works on that show because it's, mm-hmm. they, they're filming. They're making so many deals. And then you kind of get like you're almost expecting, oh, I'm going to get a I'm going to get a call from Robert the next day, you know, like <laughs> and it's and then it's sort of like the silence period. And then their attorneys reach out and it's like oh. you sort of like are dealing with their like legal team. Um, and then once you close the sort of the, the door opens up and you've got like that free access, mm-hmm. you know, free access to, um, Robert. But I think until that point's reached, it's, it's kind of the slow process. So I think for us, it actually took maybe four months before mm-hmm. the deal was actually closed. Something like that. Huh. So. Oh, wow. And w- at this point was your partner. He was not, he didn't leave his, uh, dental practice yet. Yeah. He was still doing both. Was this we, like the, the. The turning point like hey it's it's time or? not yet we like we actually they it only lasted one season but they had a show called beyond the tank which was mm-hmm. like i think in 2015 14 15 i think like 14 and we had we were in the season premiere of that and like during the filming of that show was when nick sort of had made the decision to go full t- like he was making the decision to gotcha. go so it probably was another like year to year and a half later before he he made the decision so how was a what was the difference in the Beyond the Tank as far as the original show and then that? Yeah, Beyond the Tank, it's like a deeper dive. So I think the the normal Shark Tank show, I think they do like five or six 
segments mm-hmm. and beyond the tank is like two companies in an hour. Oh, so okay. it's like a real deep dive into like, they actually spend more time filming in the offices of the company. Oh, that's cool. They're sort of like get more employees involved, more decision-making. Um, so it's like, like the, you've got the shark tank, then you have the updates, which we've done a few of those are like, they might film your office, but it's, those are like one minute little, Mm-hmm. You've probably seen those on Shark Tank. Yeah, yeah. Like, where are they now? And yeah. then Beyond the Tank is almost like an update, but it's like a deep, like a much deeper one. How do they? How do they pick who gets it? I think just producers, them just thinking who would have like an interesting story, mm. you know, or or what they think would would the audience would be interested in. Yeah, I thought it was cool. It reminded me a little bit more of uh, like The Profit. I don't know if you guys ever watched yeah, that. Yeah, watched Marcus that for sure. It's like it's. Uh, I thought it was a cool format, but I think. I, I, it didn't last more than the season, so my guess is it just didn't do as well for them as they were hoping. That's bizarre. I wonder yeah. if it's be, you have to really because there's only two. You have to really connect to those two, and if you don't like the normal Shark Tank episodes, you get to see because there, there's certain yeah. ones where people come on, and you're like, I really don't really, I don't dig this. So you yeah. wait, you wait for the next person to come up. That you have to have that connection to. Yeah, I think to so. the brand. It might do better on like a CNBC or like where they do like the profit and like an audience who's maybe extra entrepreneurial and mm-hmm. business minded. I think I feel like shark tanks, the perfect format of like, it gets both the entrepreneurial people plus people that just want entertaining yeah. TV. It's like these short little snippets. It moves pretty quick. So I think beyond the tank is like that deeper dive might've been the trend, the difference uh, yeah. where it's just kind of loses people's, you know, the general ABC viewers interest more than shark tank does. I could see that. Yeah. Did you have, cause so the buddy of mine who was on it before too, he had a, uh, it was, he was in e-commerce. It was a buckle company. Um, when it first aired, he said his, they couldn't keep up and it crashed, uh, meaning a site. And like, I don't think he was using a fulfillment, um, a third party fulfillment. But when your it first aired, was it, was it a fucking all, all good? Or did you guys have some crash and burn? Uh, we had crash and burn. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah. Like our site, our site crashed. Almost every we had we finally had an update. We we are on a new ecom platform now called MI9, and it's been really good. And we just replatformed last year, and so we had a, we had a fresh update last year in like November, and that was like the first time our site's been like rock solid during okay. an update. Um, the yeah the first one our site it was so disappointing too because we spent months and like tons of money trying to prepare. It's just really complicated. Like Shopify sites do really well because um, Shopify just has it down. Yeah. But any other platform, I feel like it's a, it takes like a ton of prep to get your site stable. Um, I think I think we get up to we got up to like seventeen thousand concurrent users, which is just a Holy ton of clicking. You know, even like even like a, a website that's doing a hundred million dollars a year in revenue is probably like on average maybe has you know, one to 2000 concurrent users. So mm-hmm. it's just, and that's like, those are, you know, a big e-com site. So if you're getting up to that level, it's yeah. just like, it'll press, it'll push the the limits on almost any site. How were you during those, that time period, like in a full on panic or? Sort of, I mean, it was tricky because we did a big viewing party. So <laughs> I was living at like Vantage Point at the time. Okay. And we were on the upstairs, like patio. And like, we probably had like, there was probably 30, 40 people there. And so it was like, you're with friends and you're, you're enjoying yourself, but then the site crashes and you're like, oh crap. So you like have to like excuse yourself. And like, yeah. I kind of felt like, like it sucks, but I, I also knew we had so many technical people like watching our site right at that time that I kind of knew there was nothing I could do. Like they, they were on it. Mm-hmm. Um, they ended up getting it back up, you know, 20 minutes later or something, but it's, it's, 
you know, you do lose some sales. For yeah, sure. yeah, I could imagine. It's yeah. got to be like that's like a a double edged sword. You're here, they're celebrating it, and at the same time, you're thinking like, oh fuck, I'm on the clock though yeah. right now because we're about to get hammered. Yeah, I, we've had like we've had some up, more updates since then, and I've kind of learned. I like I've had a few where it's literally like I'm like watching solo at home, and Nick is. Nick is watching with his wife and we're just FaceTime because it's like, it's kind of nice to be like available and yeah, yeah. more like, more like a, a high impact work thing than, than this like celebratory totally. time with where you're stressed out with friends and you, it's like, you don't even really want to be seen like that with your, with yeah. your friends. So. Nope, you don't. Yeah. Has, uh, have you gotten pretty close with now with Robert since then? Like, Yeah. It- he's like, yeah, he's been just like a good friend of ours and he's just like, very well aligned with us. And, um, so yeah, we're definitely like a close mentor of ours and always there for us. I think, I think people sometimes think maybe we like work directly with him more than we do just because, um, but they're just not, you know, we're, we're in like, we're a e-com novelty holiday apparel business. He's in cybersecurity yeah. and we've, we're at a size now where we've been able to connect with other e-com companies that are bigger than ours, you know, like Bonobos or these, like we've met, we've, we've networked within our Mm -hmm. world. So if like we need a new fulfillment company recommendation or we need, you know, to figure out what people are doing for marketing or Mm -hmm. it's, it's sort of like we have our own little realm of, um, of people that are able to like help us out. Totally. So I think because of that, we tend to go, if like we tend to more just have like a relationship with him, we're not Mm -hmm. really like asking a lot of we don't have a lot of like business needs you know yeah yeah. um but he's always there for us if we do so it's it's a cool it's a cool relationship that's cool now that you've gotten the level that you've gotten to do you have people who are like up and coming in e-commerce lean on you or do like you you advise or mentor anybody anybody coming up in that space yeah not like closely but i try to i try to like pay it forward because we've had people that have helped us as we've grown so if i can be helpful and someone's in like a non-competitive space yeah. if they're competitive i usually don't so, so you definitely have some there it's like you know they because especially because we do so many things now it's all yeah. kind of under the novelty yeah. holiday umbrella but you know sometimes like someone's making like funny t-shirts or something it's, there's a lot of we, we do overlap in other spaces now so but I, if it's like a non-competitive company i'm and they're local i always try to be like helpful because mm-hmm. it's been hugely helpful for us yeah, you know, did, to know others like I like you know, like Chase from Blenders, like mm-hmm. like we're I like super open book with him, and um, he's helped helped us a lot, and so it's I try to we try to like help each other out totally in this, within the space. Have you seen a lot of competitors pop up? There's some. Um, I think we've got like a pretty good moat just because we've like been around for a while and. Um, we've definitely put a lot of focus on building the brand and like making sure like tipsy elves stands for something beyond just like clothes, the clothes we sell, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that always helps, but you get, you know, you, there's a lot of generic companies to buy sweaters from I and mean, you go on Amazon and type ugly Christmas. sweaters. Mm-hmm. like, there's so many more. We literally were like one of the only ones selling sweaters before. Now there's, there's probably like a hundred places to buy sweaters mm-hmm. online, if not more. So that, there's definitely a lot more like the generic kinds in terms of like branded competition. There's not as much, um, but there's a few. So. Yeah. They're probably the people that were like the, 
the knickknack route you're gonna take it's yeah. those type of competitors that come up now huh yeah exactly like Did you, no brand recognition pretty much just trying to make a quick buck on the amazon or um and then there's some in the wholesale space that'll sell to like they're the ones selling to you know it's like the halloween costumes.com sure, or like yeah. and there's some that are just they do nothing but wholesale you know and they kind of do they're usually pretty crappy designs like low mm-hmm. quality um but they'll sort of infiltrate like the wholesale channels like they're the ones selling sweaters like Kohl's and, you know, gotcha. Target and stuff like that. <laughs> Have so. you now, because I know the the Pioneer was the ugly Christmas sweaters. Now you got obviously wearing these stylish Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> you got in the ski suits. And I was looking at your site over the weekend, too, and a lot of more uh, uh, variation product base. Has anything um, superseded or taken over um, the original, the Christmas sweaters? Is there a product line now that is is has gone above it? Yeah, the Christmas, I think, because we it had such a head start, you know, mm-hmm. we had like five years of, maybe not quite five, I think our second collection was our patriotic collection, mm-hmm. which I think we launched maybe three or four years into the business, but Christmas just had such a head start that it still is our biggest collection, um, but like Halloween and our ski suits, um, the Hawaiians, our swim stuff, like a lot of it's been growing some of it's been growing faster than the growth of our christmas collection Mm. it just hasn't gotten it hasn't really surpassed christmas our christmas is a little more mature i'd say like still still growing each year um but we've just been doing it for 10 years now so some of this other stuff's kind of newer and Mm -hmm. catching some cool momentum which has been really exciting to see do you carry rompers we for women we haven't done that. <laughs> Come on. our so, male like yes. our male uh, what we decided to do for males was do matching shirt plus swim trunks or shirt okay, plus I've seen those definitely yeah, saw those. so yeah. that's like what that's, we were wearing yeah. uh-huh. so that I like we like that route because you can it's a little more wear like you could just wear the shirt you could just wear the shorts or you can wear them both if you really want want to go for the, the full look yeah. you may or may not be able to share maybe maybe you don't even want to share at all but um is there a specific product that you haven't done yet that you really want to dive into not really we've sort of done i mean we like there's some that i feel like we've scratched the surface on and i kind of just feel like we don't have the bandwidth to give it our like bachelor bachelorette party stuff mm-hmm. i mean that's like you know big market we get a lot of good bachelor parties buying our stuff anyway yeah that's huge but um i think we've done and we have some shirts for that and um i think in general just we've seen graphic tees for us grow a lot like they tend to be focused on on season or on on holidays but i think when the next year or two we'd like to potentially like grow more just become more known as a company you can always go to to find like just cool funny Mm -hmm. uh eye-catching graphic tees like Mm -hmm. you know so we're already selling like big pockets of them for different holidays it's just more about bridging the gap and having some less holidays focused uh design so there's a few areas like that but i I, for the most part we've kind of like at this point have done a lot of the the collections that we've wanted to do you have like a do you have a processed out way of how you uh thumbs up or thumbs down a new skew because i know we, we actually asked, we're talking to chase about this because he said it's definitely the surveying's different now from when he first started you know it was usually just yeah. i think these are really fucking cool and and we're gonna run with it now he kind of gets a team together which is which is really good because he's like it actually saved me some some stuff that i might personally think is cool yeah. doesn't actually translate and if i get a room full of people who know the brand inside and out know the market inside and out and say 
Chase, you're crazy. Yeah. Do you guys have like a, is there a, a room or a process you guys go through to put out a new design? Yeah. I mean, we're, it's way different because very similar to, to blenders. I think we used to just me and Nick would decide, mm -hmm. um, or Nick and I, um, <laughs> but now we, we actually use our customers a lot. So we'll do, we'll take like a slice of, if it's our new Christmas collection, we'll interview or we'll survey, uh, a couple thousand previous Christmas buyers of tips. Oh, cool. And that's been really helpful for us. And it's been a pretty good process to like narrow things down. Um, it, it's way more accurate. We've made a ton of mistakes where we just try to pick ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I think it's one of those things like, like I can't try, I don't trust myself anymore because I think we've, <laughs> we've gotten like so many customers from so many different, you know, we have like our shark tank people, people we found on Facebook, word of mouth. Like it's better from a design standpoint to sell what your customers want, Yeah. but it's better from a brand standpoint to be consistent and, and the brand should come from us, but I feel like our designs, it helps to listen to your customers and they're the ones who can tell you what, what they want to see. Totally. So if, if design is always just coming from, the co-founder, then I feel like that's, you, you might be missing out. I mean, you don't want to completely just lose your, you lose your, your uh, DNA and like your core of your design aesthetic. But I think in terms of like specific prints and things, it's good to listen to your customers. So we try to, we try to take that approach more. That's smart. How does your, we always like to dive into it with each person and you're, you're one of the busiest guys we've had on here from a, a business professional standpoint. How does your personal life keep up with it all? Yeah, it seems fine. I mean, I, I like, uh, I like, like the work, you know? So I guess for me, I don't need a ton of personal, um, to be, feel happy. Like I you get a lot of social stimulation, just being in the office with our employees. And, um, but I, I feel like it's, especially because we're so busy in Q4, but then other periods of the year, it's a little more mm. level. So I'll try to do like, do my trips and go, you know, do some international travel, other times of the year, um, I still make it out a lot on the weekends and grab dinners and stuff downtown. And, mm -hmm. um, I'm in a couple hockey leagues. I, I, I play like just recreational ice hockey. So like I do that twice a week. Um, that's cool. so that's, I feel like it's I think the difference, I just don't have a lot of downtime in between those things. It's mm -hmm. like all, I'm like, I think I'm gotten used to just being busy, but it's kind of, I, I like being that way. So it's not, it doesn't feel too, too bad. I just sort of, I'm always kind of going from one thing to the next pretty yeah, quickly, yeah. Know, but it's, it's fun. Do you have any like daily, daily routines or habits or disciplines that you don't miss? No, I'm pretty bad at that stuff. <laughs> I should. I think it's part of like why I like quitting, like being self-employed was like, I feel like I've never been a great like habit person. You know, I mm -hmm. like go to bed at different times. I wake, you know, I'm not like a, I'm not, I've never been super structured and rigid in that way. Um, and a little more free flowing. So I don't, I mean, it's something I've historically have tried to do is like, I feel like just better mentally if I can like meditate, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, but I've been really bad about maintaining that. So, um, so yeah, not really. I probably yeah. should. I know like a lot of really successful people talk about habits and they get up at 5 a.m. every morning. And, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I try to be a little more like free flowing. I, and probably, probably some of it comes from the nature of our business. Like we'll go from like, these incredibly busy periods to like true really slow months, you know? So it's like a habit that might serve me really well when we're extremely busy. Maybe it doesn't need to be so rigid when we're, it's a slower time for us, you know? Yeah. 
surprisingly, we've never gotten like anybody on here that says like a clear answer. That it's always the same thing, you know. It's it's always pulling an audible, and yeah. you try and keep certain like core principles or other shit. But like that's the nature of it, man. Yeah. You never you never know what you're waking up to the next day, which is almost like a a piece of of the fuel. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's a that's an okay answer. I'm surprised Chase didn't <laughs> he. I, I wanted to grab, like grab coffee with him the other day. He's like, "Yeah, let's meet at like six thirty in the morning." So I was like, it's "Like, damn, this guy must have some <laughs> hardcore habits." Gets well, up at five. Chase goes boxing. All yeah, the time that's too. Yeah. He yeah. boxes yeah. and he still surfs some too. Yeah. 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 But again, yeah. he said the same thing. He's like, "Not as much as I used to." Yeah, you just try and like squeeze in where you can. But I feel like the good thing about it is where I, I think slowly but surely the the like nine to five rigid schedules are going away. Um, being self-employed, there's there's a great part of like waking up, looking at your week or looking at your day and being like, yeah, I could get up and work out this morning or I know I have X, Y, Z and Z to do. I can just work out at night and yeah. you can kind of, that's what I look at. Like I was just having a conversation over the weekend with a girl who works in a design agency and they're really good about, like I said, now they're going, you can have more remote hours and this and that. I look, I'm like, it's crazy. I couldn't imagine if someone told me, hey, your best peak optimal time is only nine to five. That's when you have to work. Yeah. I look, I'm like, no, sometimes it is six in the morning and I'm yeah. just like on it. Sometimes it's like 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. It might not be for the better because then you're like, well, when, when do when's the clock off? Yeah. But I don't, I don't think that it's a, uh, and I don't know how your schedule is for, for your staff. Cause you're in an ultra creative office. You know, it, I couldn't imagine like, Hey, this is when you're creative. This is when you work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We try to be, we try to give some flexibility there. It's tricky. Cause then you, there's also collaboration that happens when people are in the office. So it's mm-hmm. tough to tell everyone like, you know, be remote or just mm-hmm. come in any eight hours of the day you want, you know? So we try to give, but we give some flexibility because it's basically us trying to balance the collaborative benefits of having people overlap in the office with the flexibility that we know people like to have totally. just because anyone likes to have flexibility mm-hmm. and not be like, feel like things are so rigid with hours. Definitely. Is there something right now? And I know you're coming up on those months of the year that you said are the crazy ones, October, December, but is there something right now that like is extra, firing you up when you get up in the morning or something like a project or anything you're working on what you're doing um that's like extra right now yeah i'm trying to think um i've done a lot with our website in the last few months like our team you know we've been a collaborative effort but just in terms of like a little more focused on kind of the funnel marketing funnel and Mm -hmm. getting more people to subscribe getting um so I, i think it's that that aspect's been exciting it seems to be going pretty well um I saw, yeah, I'm, I'm more dialed in on, on web. So we just like, we've cleaned up the website. So it's just mm-hmm. like, I get real excited to like, just browse it on my, you know, just like it's yeah. just been redesigned. <laughs> it's just like, I love that. And just, and then starting to see the, the Halloween sales coming in. Um, so it's, I think right now it's more of, we're like two weeks away from just like, just like the, just the craziest sales days we yeah. have as a company. Um, it keeps going up from there you know but it's it's more just that anticipation of like oh man it's about to go that's true it's about to go down get ready (laughs) for the big show you guys you guys do everything in-house all marketing all design all website everything uh a lot yeah like all of our design um but we outsource for fulfillment we outsource for development um we outsource for some marketing functions Mm -hmm. we have a like an seo agency we have a we don't and we we uh our paid advertising we outsource for so there's like, it's a mix, I'd say. Yeah. Um, we try to outsource when we feel like some of these agencies are really good at growing with us as we go really busy. They, you know, it's a, the seasonality makes it tricky. Mm-hmm. So like some of these agencies, like our advertising uh, agency that we use, 
they, we, we had like a team of like seven people, you know, but it, during slow times, it might only be like one or two, but then sure. during busy, it might be seven. So it's, it's when agencies, when we feel like it'd be hard for us to staff internally, those are the, the roles we try to outsource for. Gotcha. Just because sometimes it's the, the upswing. You can't really hire a bunch of people and then you don't need them during slower periods. So mm-hmm. that's when agencies have been really helpful. I don't think we asked. Where did, where did the name Tipsy Elves come from? I was going to ask that. Good question. Uh, <laughs> we were just like, we were just kind of like, kind of had one of those creative sessions where we're like, let's just talk names right now. And we, we thought like, we kind of knew the vision would be, let's start with Christmas and then see what go what happens. So I think it, we thought having some Christmas uh, connection yeah. made sense, uh, especially because like, if it didn't work, then then we couldn't do all the other stuff we we've mm-hmm. now grown Tipsy Elves into. Um, but we also didn't want to be so seasonal that like like Santa. There's certain icons that are like yeah. very Christmas, whereas elves are like obviously a Christmas character, but a little more like <laughs> they like summer too, though. Yeah, yeah a little more like elves hang around. Yeah, like, I just feel like they were had more popularized. They were almost like a more of a meme kind of, yeah, kind yeah. of character. So, um, and then you know we were throwing like drunk elves no that's way too harsh like and we were kind of just going through all these like names and then we said tipsy elves we're like it's just like roll it was like a name that just sounded good yeah Mm -hmm. it was like one of those ones as soon as we said it we're like you couldn't think of anything wrong you know just like it just like hit and it it sounded really good do you remember who said it first we have these debates all the time when we get down the road. Wait, wait a second. I think Who's it was I think it was me. I'm sure. That's such I a think, Pete answer. I'm being honest. I, I think it was. I'm pretty sure. I Nick, always say me. That's such so, a Pete answer. I'm pretty always sure Nick me. would agree, but I, I could be wrong. So, yeah. If you this is a really hard this is a hard question and most people it's hard to answer because you now you have such a big staff as opposed to day one and you probably wear different hats every day. Is there one thing like that you as far as your work leader working on tipsy elves that you feel like that's like chiseled into what you what you do with with the company now now that it's grown to the level it's at yeah i tend to be like more the marketing creative role so mm-hmm. like i do all the design meetings for like pro- new product design i'm okay. pretty like involved in those and then all of the marketing stuff for the website you know the funnel the the metrics of conversion rate and average order value and where traffic's coming from and why and like all of that trying to like really understand that totally yeah which is sort of like makes sense because seo was one of my bigger contributions to the company early on so Mm -hmm. i've always been kind of in that internet marketing space Mm -hmm. um so i'd say the internet marketing product design are like my core um and then i oversee the the development agency that we work what's the that does all of our web updates. So I'm managing, like I help manage those tickets too. Oh, that's cool. Um, and then Nick does more Amazon operations, um, customer service fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Um, he places like all of our supplier orders, a lot like more spreadsheet stuff that okay. he's got like probably better patience and, and aptitude for. It's a good balance. <laughs> yeah. So. Is there anything you have that you can, anything coming up or designs or anything, especially since this is the season? that you're extra excited about or maybe the people haven't seen yet? I think um, we do have like, uh, we've, we've grown our family stuff a lot. So like we actually are starting to do more kids stuff, which has done really well for us. So we've got some really fun, like family matching pajamas that are just like very innovative and different than what, what else? Sold. Sold. Uh, I can see that. Sold. <laughs> yeah, can see that. He's a dad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've got 
some really fun Halloween costumes this year that are out now. I've got like a one that's like an air dancer, you know, those things that they have like at the gas station. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we've got like a whole like matching family line set. So it's like, okay. you can have like a baby and a little, like have a mane, which is like the super cute <laughs> baby costume. Do you guys do anything for pets? Uh, we have some, like we've got a skeleton sweater for dogs. Um, we've got, and we'll have like six or seven Christmas sweaters for dogs this year. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing a big white elephant collection of our site, which is like, it's one of the first times we've sold non-Tipsy Elves branded products, but we just learned, like everyone goes to white elephant parties mm-hmm. and it's super common yep. and it's like really hard to find a one one place where you can buy like the, the coolest white elephant stuff out there. Totally. So I feel like everyone wants to buy a gift that gets talked about, you know, and be like, they brought the coolest gift to the party. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we've sourced... We did like, we were really kind of like painstakingly going through all these different like random white elephant gifts and we sourced them. So we'll have like a pretty big white elephant section of our site this year nice. for Christmas. That's pretty cool. Which will be, which will be cool. Um, so yeah. That's cool. Yeah. This is kind of a silly question, but I, we asked uh, one of the guys that was on uh, recently. Um, he's an MMA fighter and we talked about, I guess you could see like his shark take moment when he made it into the UFC and other shit. And we asked like, cause he lives now South Bay in San Diego. Did you ever have like moments where you're getting recognized after being on Shark Tank? Yeah, there's been a few. Because he's, um, he's told us some really funny, like kind of awkward moments, like with his kid at the movie theater and like getting followed to his car. Like, fuck, that's weird. Did you guys, did you have any of that at the show or still? Nothing, yeah, I mean, there's been like, it just happens now, you know, from time to time. I think like someone will be like, what are you, you look so familiar. I like <laughs> don't want to say, it's like I'll, sometimes I'll just kind of naturally come out, you know, oh, that's, oh, I, I knew why, like. That's funny. I recognized you or, um, uh, yeah, it's, it happens from time to time. Like, that's funny. Yeah. So you, you see like, get the, you'll get like some friend requests or something uh, after, <laughs> after, after like something air, you know? So it's, it's like you, people definitely watch the show and if, if they're familiar with it, I feel like you, you see stuff, you know, it comes up from time to time. So totally. Yeah. One of the, like towards the end of the show questions we always ask is obviously it's called in the weeds. And if, if there's people out there, which are definitely are, are watching and they're right now in the, in the weeds of the, like the day one phase of starting, or maybe they have started, what's the best advice you can give them like specific to, it could be, maybe it doesn't have to be specific to e-commerce or the, the industry you're in just getting, getting started. What, what's your best advice for them? Yeah, I think, uh, I feel like two things like on the, I think the side that not everyone likes to hear is like, I think it's good to test before you like go all in. Mm. Cause I feel like some people just say like, just got to do it and keep pushing and keep grinding. But like, I feel like some, you, some people might be grinding or pushing on a, on an idea that like maybe wasn't well tested, you know, maybe they shouldn't mm-hmm. spend five or six years working on something that just isn't meant to be. So I think like we were careful with tipsy elves to kind of test first before we made decisions that would like really impact our lives, you know, before we quit our jobs and before, we like made sure it had legs. Yeah. So I think on, on that, that side of things, I would say like, like try to, before you take out a second mortgage on your house or put your family at risk or like quit your job, it's good to like, make sure the idea you're doing has some potential, some demand. Yeah. But then I'd say once you've made the decision and you sort of tested it, then I would just say to focus on the opportunities and not the obstacles, because I think, it's really easy to 
And we, every, every week we have a new issue. And mm-hmm. if you just always are thinking like getting stressed out by that. And uh, so I, I think like as soon as an issue arises with us, we tend to snap right into like problem solving mode mm-hmm. and then like, let's resolve it and get it behind us and keep moving forward. And I mean, we've had some bad issues with fulfillment and we've had like emergency situations where we've had to fly out, you know, to New Jersey where our fulfillment company is and it's total mess. And they're like, they're 14,000. They're like one point we had 15,000 orders that we were like behind on during peak season. Holy shit. And our customer service team was getting blown up and Nick and I flew out and it's like, you just do it. You know, you just like, you can't, if you if you get overwhelmed by it and you you know you just need to like figure it out and mm-hmm. solve it so i think i think just trying to be we try to remind our team like always focus on opportunities like things mm-hmm. are going to come up and and uh just resolve them and <laughs> don't don't do get you, stuck on do it. you feel like now that are there any problems anymore that really that really scary or is it just another day uh, you, I mean, anything can come up. So I think that's the nature of having a seasonal business. I mean, yeah. everyone's worried. Everyone worries about Black Friday, Cyber Monday. You know, so what's can your is your website going to hold up, or can your fulfillment company that you just signed up with handle the peak? Like they say they can, but can they act? You know, sure. like yeah. so. There's always like the unknowns, or um, you know, are are like is a trend that was like really strong last year still going to be strong this year you know do sure. people are people still buying sweaters as much or are they buying christmas suits or one you know the the jumpsuits like those things change every year a little bit and so there's always like unknowns but i think we just kind of gotten used to this is like part of life with with our business absolutely i think with any business really so absolutely yeah well this has been rad you guys got anything else over there with your Hawaiian I have tees. a question for him, but that's after. Okay, cool. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thanks for taking the time. This was a this was a great pot. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, yeah, guys. Definitely. Yeah, thanks.